Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, really in two places, Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 6, in a Bible study that I'm entitled, By Faith, Noah Worked for God. By Faith, Noah Worked for God. We're in chapter 11 of Hebrews in our verse-by-verse study of this fascinating book, and we've learned already that chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And I'm so grateful that it's not known as the hall of failure because each of the individuals that are highlighted in Hebrews 11 are known for, in this chapter, their great faith. But we also see in other parts of the Bible that they also failed miserably. And I want to remind you not to separate yourself from the people of the Bible. That's easy to do where you're reading the Bible and you see that someone did some great thing or they're known for their walk with the Lord or they're known for their worship, they're known for this great exploit and you think, well, that can never be me because here I am, this is all who I, I, I'm not that good and I don't have that gift and I fail and I sin and I struggle and, and I can never be like the people in the Bible. If you do that, you would be wrong because you're just like the people in the Bible where they live life very similar to you and very similar to me. The only difference really is the separation of time. They lived in a different time period, dealing with different issues. But even today, as we learn in the life of Noah, the culture that Noah lived in is very similar to the culture that we live in. And Jesus himself makes a bridge from the days of Noah to the last days. Now, in chapter 11, God doesn't highlight their failures. He doesn't have a list of all the mistakes they made. Instead, God chooses to highlight their faith. Those times where their belief connected with the power of God and something radically wonderful happened. And today, we're drawn to the faith and the obedience of a man by the name of Noah. And Noah was a man of faith. His life continually showed his faith by his utter dependence and obedience to God. And yes, this is the Noah, the one that built the big boat, the one that built the ark. And here the skeptics can't help themselves. You may go back to work this week and somebody asks you, what did you do for over the weekend? You say, oh, I went to church. Well, what did you learn about? Oh, we learned about Noah. And you can just expect to hear it. Oh, you don't believe in Noah, do you? You don't believe that he really built an ark and that, that their God, if there is a God, really judged the world. You don't believe he brought the animals and what will you say? Of course I believe it. The Bible teaches it to be true. But even, even though we believe it, something greater is even greater than that happened and that is Jesus Christ believed and taught us of the true story of Noah and the true story of him building an ark. You can jot it down in Luke chapter 17. In verse 26 it says, when the Son of Man returns, this is Jesus teaching, when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties 
and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus believed in Noah and the ark and the judgment of God through the flood. And I believe it to be true as well. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen. Let's not pass that phrase. Things not yet seen. Remember in earlier studies, we learned what the definition of faith really is. Go back to verse 1. The definition of faith actually has this phrase in it. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so Noah receives a divine warning, it says, of things not yet seen. Now what things weren't yet seen yet? Rain, floods, a worldwide catastrophic flood, the entire world being judged by God, an ark this size, a boat, let alone a boat the size that Noah built. None of these things are seen. And yet God spoke to Noah about them, warning them. Secondly, notice, he was moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah heard from God, and what he heard moved him toward godly fear. And then that godly fear and movement of God internally, he received externally, moved internally, then led him to obey. And he prepared this ark, even though he doesn't even have any idea. We read the story, we, we know how it ends. He doesn't. He just has the word of God to live by. Haven't you found that to be true in your life? You and I do not know what the future will hold. As much as we think we do, we don't. There's much in our lives that are yet unseen and unknown. The situation you're in right now, you don't know how it's going to end. You have a desire and you have a hope and your prayer life is focused on, perhaps, Lord, just help me in this and heal me on this. And, and you, you have that desire, but you don't know how it's going to end. And because you don't know how it's going to end, you bridge that gap by what? Faith. You trust God that no matter what happens, no matter what the end might be, no matter what his answer is to your prayer life, you're going to trust him at his word. Noah lived in a time in human history of great sinful debauchery. It was out of control. It was a shocking time of man's rebellion against God. Let's turn back now to Genesis chapter 6 and gain insight of the days of Noah. Because if Jesus tells us that the end times are going to be like the days of Noah, then what were the days of Noah really like? Notice with me beginning in chapter 6 of Genesis verse 1. Now it came to pass when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. 
There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then, verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. If you're taking notes, notice some of the things about the days of Noah. Number one, there was a population explosion as people were multiplying. Secondly, there was abnormal sexual perversity. Thirdly, there was a skewed marital views. Fourthly, there was wicked, corrupt minds. And fifthly, there was evil violence overtaking the earth. This was a time, as you notice, and you hold your finger in Genesis as we turn to other texts, but notice, this was a time in Genesis 6 where it says in verse 8, all this darkness, all this difficulty, all this sin, all this violence, when it just seems like all is lost, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. During a violently wicked time, Noah stood out as a man who found favor in God's eyes. Not because he deserved it. Noah's certainly not a perfect man. Those of you that know and have read ahead, you know that after the flood, Noah comes out of the ark, he plants a vineyard, he gets drunk, and he does some really bad stuff. He's not a perfect man. But he is a man of steady obedience. He is a man that takes the word of God seriously. He is a man that is not just a hearer of God's word, but he's a doer of God's word. He is a man that takes seriously the commandments of God. And despite what was happening around him, he didn't get caught up in it. He didn't find himself overtaken by it. And yet he listened and obeyed. Now, just by way of review, up to this point in our study in Hebrews, we've studied two other guys. Remember the first guy that was highlighted, his name was Abel. And Abel was remarked by his faithful worship of God. He was known for his worship. And then we were introduced not only to Abel, but then we met a guy by the name of Enoch. And his faith was remarked that he walked with God. Now we're introduced to a man by the name of Noah, and he's remarked by his, the, the remarks on his life was his faith led him to work. And let me just tell you, that's always the right order. It's always worship, which leads to a real walk in relationship with God, which leads to work. It's not the other way around. It's not this, well, I've got to do for God, and I'm going to work really hard for God, and then maybe that'll improve my worship, and then maybe that'll improve. No, it's not that way. It always starts with devotion. And your devotion, your relationship with God, then leads you to dedication. And your dedication will lead to diligence, a life of steady obedience. It's always that order. You'll see that throughout the scriptures. It's worship, walk, and then work. Because working for God, serving him, can be such a joy. It's like the most fulfilling thing you can do with your life is to surrender it to be used by him. To know that our lives matter 
to know that we are being used in a greater sense for eternal purposes. It's amazing, really unbelievable. And you know, one of my responsibilities in your life, one of the reasons why God has given this church a pastor and a pastoral team, one of the reasons why I live why I serve in the capacity and the role that is given. By the way, you know, the role of pastor, and you can jot it down in Ephesians chapter four, the role of pastor is called a gift to the church. Not necessarily the person, but the role. The role of the pastor teacher is one of God's gifts to his church. And the gift that you and I get to unwrap over and over again is that my role as a pastor, and when I listen to my pastor, Pastor Jeff, and other guys on the radio, and I'm just receiving from the men that God has given this church, the role is this. I'm responsible to equip you for the work of the ministry. That's why I'm here. I'm to pray, study the word of God, and through my life of service, I'm to equip you for the work of the ministry. I'm not the only one that is to do the work of the ministry. We are to do the work of the ministry and we're to be equipped. And the way that we equip here in this church is to teach you the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we know that there is power in the word of God. And the more that it's taught and the more that it's received and the more that it's acted upon, we'll make a difference in our community and in our family. And you wanna match you want to match what you receive with action. It's always that, don't forget this, it's always the same order. Worship, walk, then the work. Come back to Genesis now in chapter six. So it's this dark, wicked time. Uh, it's just filled with debauchery and sin, but in the backdrop of this divo, Noah finds grace. If you'd like to take notes in verse eight, just circle the word grace, and you can write next to it, this is the first mention of grace in the Bible. The first time it's mentioned, first time you'll find this word in the Bible is right here in Noah's life. And you find it in the context of darkness and difficulty. Somehow, Noah was able to live his life untouched by the culture in which he lived. Notice verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Again, don't be thrown by the word perfect. It also can mean blameless. He had a steady life of obedience. Not a perfect life in the sense that we think he never made a mistake, but a blameless life. A steady life of obedience. Verse 10. Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt, and all flesh was corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, verse 13, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark. Again, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you could write boat. That's what the ark is. Or you could write next to it, a big boat. So make yourself a big boat of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, covered inside and outside with pitch, and this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. So basically it's 500 by 75 by 50. You'll make a window for the ark, you finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it a lower, second, and third decks, 
And behold, verse 17, I myself am bringing the flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under the earth all flesh in which is the breath of life and everything that's on the earth shall die. But I'll establish my agreement with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, keep them alive with you, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. And verse 22, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. This is how he gets into the hall of faith. Thus Noah did according to all that was commanded him. Now, things were so bad at this time in Noah's life, in the culture and society and the world in which he lived, that judgment had to come. God, he chose not to strive with man any longer. He has patiently waited. And we'll find that he'll patiently wait another hundred plus years. The time it took Noah to build the ark. The patience of God. Sometimes people mistake the patience of God for approval of sin. And it goes like this. You know, you get some warning from a pastor. Hey, be careful of this. Don't get involved in that. You, you, You will reap what you sow. And your thought is, well, I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. So therefore, maybe God approves of it. No, God never approves of sin. And when you say in your mind, or even think in your mind, well, I haven't been caught yet. I haven't reaped what I've sown yet. I haven't been judged yet. Would I please encourage you, emphasize the word yet. Because there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. There's nothing that's sown in the flesh that you won't reap corruption. And we learn in Noah's day that God judges time morally, not necessarily chronologically. There comes a point in time where there's no more redemption for this sin, no longer allowing it to continue. The end of all flesh is before me, the Bible says. Those are solemn and sobering words that it will come to an end, that God will not strive with man forever. You know, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, this is gonna happen again. It won't be a flood, it'll be by fire. The judgment of God will come again, and it will come again in the last days that will be very similar to the days of Noah. And it's in that backdrop that God speaks to Noah, and he tells him to build an ark, very specifically. And I love that. Noah was a different man. In the worst time imaginable, people were just going on with life, just doing things normally, getting involved, like living like nothing was wrong. There was a desensitization of evil that just wasn't feeling it anymore. Nobody taking a stand for it, getting involved. And you know, it's not unlike the days in which we live, which only leads me to that sense that the coming of the Lord is closer than ever before. The culture that we're in, it's not just our country. This is a worldwide phenomenon. Around the world, people have turned their back on God. Around the world, people have chosen to sin. And around the world, around the world, 
People are mastering in evil and inventing new ways to hurt one another. Now, of course, it comes home to our own communities. We want to be faithful in our, as God has taught us, we want to be faithful in our Jerusalem. Aurora, Denver, the metro area. We want to be faithful because it hits home here. And then we want to be faithful through Colorado and the United States. And we launch off into the world. The lost need to be saved. And we too live in a very dark, difficult time. And the real question is, do you have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to you? Are you in the place of Noah receiving a divine warning? Much of our study today is a divine warning. It's a reminder to you and to me that judgment will come on this earth. That Jesus Christ will return. That we, don't, we, we should not choose to be desensitized to the evil around us. I mean, we live in a culture that calls good evil and evil good. It was predicted and prophesied that such things would happen. And it's not unlike the days in which we live where over and over and over again, the boundaries of evil are being erased, moved, redefined. And the sad thing is, is it's happening among believers as well. It's happening in this lukewarmness of many people that call upon the name of Jesus Christ, perhaps even you where you're allowing the culture to affect you more than the, you're affecting the culture. Noah stands as a stark encouragement and warning to us. You know, back in Hebrews, notice in verse 7, Noah was divinely warned. God spoke to him. And it moved him to do what? To prepare this ark. And how did he do it? How did he do it, church? By faith. He doesn't know what the future holds. He doesn't understand what he's being asked to do. He's doing what's in front of him. Noah's life reminds us over and over again that you can live in the middle of an evil, corrupt culture where the whole world's seemingly against you and you can live by faith in the one true living God. That you don't have to go with the flow. That you can stand for what is right and what is righteous. That you can be empowered by God to go against the flow. Noah was given a distinct word from God and he received it. And this idea of a warning is the same word that was given, it's the same word used, translated into the Greek that was used in the New Testament to warn Mary and Joseph not to, to go to Egypt. It was the same word that was given to Cornelius that he would receive a visitor. It's God wanting to speak to us and he tells him to build a boat. Now consider this for a second. If you were in Noah's sandals, I like to put myself in the characters that I'm reading. I like to, to, to kind of view it the best that I can of how Noah felt when he received this word. So think about this. He knows the evil around, so he gets that. He lives in it. He understands that. But when God tells him about a worldwide flood, well, what's a flood? What's rain? What, what's an ark? What's a boat? And you can think of the many questions that would come to Noah in a time like this. But you know, the text never gives us any insight that Noah questioned God. I know for me, looking at my own life, I would probably offer up some questions and obedience. It would kind of be a mixed thing for me. I'm one of those guys that likes more information. And I'm one of those guys that likes things in order. You know? And so I, would, I can imagine, even if I didn't, you know, it's like, even if I didn't ask them out loud, they'd be in my head. It's like, what's a... Okay, I'll build the boat, but what's rain? And what's a flood? And why would you judge the whole world? And then how would it feel 
How would it feel as if you got that and you started building the ark and then a year passed and nothing happens? Two years passed, nothing happens. Five years, 10 years. If you've ever waited on the Lord for anything, you know how hard it is to wait on the Lord and to wait for his word to come to pass. Noah's in a challenging place here. We kind of read through the text so quickly, but it's in a challenging, from the time that he was given the command to build and the time that the flood came, many believe it was about 120 years. (laughs) Have you ever waited for anything for 120 years? Of the things not seen, not known? I mean, it's not 120 years for us, is it? It's 120 seconds or weeks or five years. The boat is a large boat, and I can get it. You know, I can, one of the questions I probably asked, you know, if God said, build the boat in your front yard, I already know that the HOA is going to be emailing me. <laughs> so just expect it. But Lord, what about the HOA? I'll take care of the HOA, you know. And what will my neighbors say? What, what will my friends say? I mean, in a very real way, you live in the same environment. In a very real way, you, li- you, know, you, you talk to somebody about what you learned this weekend, and they're just like, really, you believe in Noah and the ark? And how dumb is that? The Bible is just so dumb. Why do you believe in something so dumb? And you're like, what do you mean? And you, you be challenged. But see, through your steady obedience in your life, you and I, we follow in the footsteps of Noah. Again, jot this down. Let me read it to you in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, and check this out, he's called a preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher of righteousness, but, but he wasn't like a preacher maybe like I am or standing behind a pulpit speaking forth the words of God. Noah was a preacher, not like at 16th Street Mall, standing up on a box and yelling at people, you're sitting, going out, not like that. His, he was a preacher of righteousness through his steady obedience in the unknown without full understanding. He was able to obey God toward the unknown without full understanding how? By faith. It was his faith that moved him to obedience. It was his faith that gave his ears the ability to receive the word from God. It was faith that moved his heart. And it was faith that he prepared this ark. He wasn't a street preacher with a scroll in his hand. His actions preached salvation and judgment, and deliverance, and help, and hope. The warning of God affected him. It moved him. What does 120 years of steady obedience bring you in the face of mounting pressure, mockery, ridicule? I'll tell you what it brings you, a godly heritage. A godly heritage. Where God began maybe in your family with you. The godly heritage starts with you, or perhaps you came from a family. As you look back generations, isn't it a blessing to know you came from a godly heritage? You're continuing on that. How? By steady obedience. You have a worshipful relationship with God. You have a walk with God, and it leads you to work for God. 
The last days are going to be just like the days of Noah. People won't care. They won't care about the things of God. They'll come against the things of God. And, and what's sad about this is that much of the church gets caught up in this. Much of the church that doesn't care about the coming of the Lord. Some churches, so many today, don't even care that Jesus is returning. So many churches today have tried to explain away the rapture of the church or treat it like it's nonsense or man made it up. No, the Bible says the rapture of the church is the blessed hope of the saints. The return of Jesus Christ is hope and it leads to purity. I mean, if we're like the one that says, oh, my master's gonna delay and I don't care, and we're like the five foolish virgins that weren't ready, then we're gonna live like that. We're gonna live compromised lives that when the voice of the Lord comes to us, it doesn't move us, we don't obey, and we will reap the consequences of our steady, listen, listen, you'll reap the consequences of your steady disobedience. And steady disobedience doesn't lead to a godly heritage. 120 years, it didn't make a dent in the hearts of the people until the first drop of rain fell. Oh, I hate you. What are you doing, Noah? You're such a goofball. You're taking the things of, oh, you hear from God, do you? It doesn't take long to see people are mocking that, yeah, God speaks to you. You say, oh, yeah, God speaks to me. Oh, you're one of those. And they always have some kind of name. You're one of those. <laughs> yeah, I am. I actually am. I am one of those. And I'm grateful to be one of those. And my heart is for you to be one of those, that you understand God's love for you. You know, because I was one of those, those before I got saved. A mocker. I used to make fun of people that followed Jesus. I used to blaspheme Jesus with my own lips. And despite the decisions I made to rebel against God, he loved me still. Passionately pursued me and changed my life. God is doing that same work in you. It's not enough. It's not enough just to play act. God is wanting you to go deeper in your walk and relationship with him. Let me tell you, friends, the coming of the Lord is a big deal. Jesus promised to return, and his return can happen at any moment. He's promised. Believers are to learn something from the unbelievers of Noah's day. We are to learn something from Noah. We're to learn something from the days of Noah. A hundred years didn't make a difference until the rain started falling. And we're like, oh man, what is this? It says in Hebrews 11 that Noah was moved with godly fear. He was internally provoked, which caused him to externally prepare. His faith led to works. And when Noah takes God at his word, it does something inside of him. It changes him. He was moved with awe and reverence. And that faith sustained him for the 120 years of mockery and ridicule. I mean, you think about it. He just went on, got the wood, cut it down, fashioned it. He's building this ark, building this ark, day after day, building this massive structure. And what kept him strong? His faith, his trust in God. Now, as we wind down today, I want to speak to the moms and dads here. And by extension to the grandmas and the grandpas that are among us today. I wanted you to consider something. I want you to consider something when you think of Noah. Because it says in chapter 7 that he was preparing the ark. Why? 
for the saving of his household. Now jot this down, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. I just want you to receive it. I want you to hear it. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And I know many a mom and dad have taken this seriously. You have taken this teaching seriously in its context. This is speaking about the financial provision for your family. And so you work hard and you work diligently to provide for the needs of your family, to put a roof over their head, clothes on their back, food on the table, and you've taken it seriously. And that's exactly what Paul is teaching young Timothy as a pastor. Make sure, he's basically saying, make sure you teach the church to take care of their own. It starts with the family. Do you know the help that's being looked for actually doesn't start with the church. It starts with your family. You take care of your family first. But for those of you that have taken this seriously, I think that you've only gone 50% of what's intended. Because I believe the application of this text also speaks of not only providing for your home financially, but also providing for your home spiritually. Spiritually. Far too many have only provided 50% of what's needed in their home. And because this is spoken of in a material way, many have launched off in successful careers. I know that if an unexpected bill comes your way or some medical crisis or something's needed, many of you, without hesitation, you're going to go out and get a second job, get a third job. You're going to do what it takes, no matter what it costs. You're going to do what it takes to provide for the needs of your family. And that's commendable. But many times, it's not. Many times, you really don't need that second job. You don't really need that put in that overtime because you've provided for the needs of your family very well. And what I believe God is teaching us in the life of Noah today that some of you need to get a second job for the spiritual discipleship of your kids. You're responsible to lead your kids in the ways of the Lord. We'll see this later on in a, in a text as I develop this in a later section of Hebrews. But listen, parents, you have one job. You don't have two, you don't have 10, you don't have a thousand responsibilities. As a parent, you have one job, and that is get your kids to the cross of Jesus Christ. Bring them to the place where they understand God's love, his death and resurrection, and bring them to the cross. That's it. It's not, you're not responsible to, to make sure they're professional athletes, that they're all well-educated. You're not responsible that they have the best, newest stuff. You're not, that's not, that's not your, your singular, you have one responsibility. Get your kids to the Lord. And how will you do that? But by preaching righteousness, but not in the traditional way. You say, okay, kids, you know, when your kids come home from, from uh, school and you're standing there with a loaf of bread, and they're walking in, what's going on, dad? This is the bread of life. <laughs> Repent. It's like, you know, it's the preacher of righteousness through your steady obedience. Because let me tell you something about your kids. They're very smart and very perceptive. And more in our kids' lives is caught, not taught. And your responsibility is to live a life of steady obedience that will leave a godly heritage to your kids. Now, you may be here today and you're not, you're of age. 
You're here with your parents, you're here with your grandparents, and you're of age. You can't, through your behavior, blame your parents for your rebellion today. You're responsible. God will hold you accountable for your rebellion. It's not your parents' fault. I've found over the years that we as parents have done the best that we can with what we've had. And if anyone knows our failures the most, it's our kids. They live with us. I look back in my life and I see I've raised my kids into adulthood. We've raised them into adulthood. We've taken them through those and we've pointed them to the Lord. But I I didn't always do it well. I remember as a new believer, I was so excited for God and so concerned about my family and so concerned that my kids didn't turn out like me that I was rather legalistic in those early years. And I'd go through the house and, man, we are nothing of the devils in this house. And we're just sweeping the house of everything. Music, toys, cartoons. I mean, poor Eddie, my oldest, man, he bore the brunt of most of that. And he just had the greatest personality. He said, whatever, Dad, whatever, whatever. He probably thought in the back of his mind, you're crazy, but whatever. (laughs) But even in that zealousness, I know that I was a better dad than before I wasn't saved. I know that God, and God taught me over the years how to teach my kids, how to disciple them and raise them, how to live in this culture, but stay pure of this culture. You're responsible for your kids. I'm not responsible for your kids. Even though I love your kids. I really do. I love the kids of this. I treat, I believe the kids of this church are like my own kids. I love your kids. I love the ability to build bridges with them. I love, I mean, even last night I walk in, I've been gone for a couple weeks. I walk in last night to the prayer time with the pastors. And and before I know, I got a little girl running up, giving me a hug. And her brother's right behind her, giving me a toy that he made, a baby Yoda. He was so excited to show me, and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And, and I handed it back. He says, no, that's for you. Thank you very much. And then someone, not, it wasn't a kid, but somebody gave me a cookie yesterday, baby Yoda cookie. And, and the little thing on the box said, Yoda best pastor. <laughs> that's awesome. I love this church. And I love your kids. And I want to see your kids follow Jesus. And I want to see them now. The world that they live in is so hard. You think it's hard for you? Think of how it is for a kid. Think of how it is they're facing things at first grade, second grade, that you and I faced eighth, ninth, tenth grade. And it messed us up at that age. How do you think it's happening to the kids today? You're the front line, mom and dad. And, and I'll do my part. And, and I want to build the bridge. You know, if a kid's going to trust me with a toy, that means he's going to trust me to tell him the truth about Jesus. And so I want to build those relationships. I want to be trustworthy in your kids. I want to be a memory in your kid's life of a man that went out strong and that was committed to what God called him to do. Wasn't a perfect man, but a man committed. And I want you to be that man and that woman in your own kid's life. We're going to do our part as a church, but we can never replace you. You have way more time with your kids. And if you think, if you think that spending 90 minutes here looking and sounding one way and the rest of the week looking and sounding another way is going to help your kids get to the cross, you're wrong. It's not going to happen that way. And I know when we share these things, there's many of you go, well, Ed, I look back and I made so many mistakes. Listen, this isn't a time for condemnation. Today is the day where things change. You have been divinely warned. I pray that you're moved with godly fear And you start to prepare the ark for the salvation of your kids and your grandkids. 
Because you know the ark? It's a big boat, right? But it's a beautiful picture. Did you know that the ark is actually a picture and a type of Jesus Christ? You go, what do you mean? Well, if you were in the ark, the Bible says once they went in, God shut the door and they were safe in the ark. The judgment didn't touch them. They actually, the ark was on the top of the waters of judgment. And after the judgment came, Noah, and who went in? His kids. Nobody in the billions of people that are on the planet responded to his message but his kids. And I don't care what your career is, how much money you might have, what you're into, it's not as more important than your kids, ever. It's not. And I know that there's a passion in you that just, it just gets sapped by other things. And the life of Noah is reminding us to prepare the ark for the salvation of our family. And if they're older and they're not walking with the Lord, it's on, their, it's on them, but you never stop being a parent, never. You never stop. Providing for your family doesn't stop with money. It also must be provided spiritually. And dads, you're on the front line. Dads, you're the front line. Now I realize too that there are some single dads doing double time, there's single moms doing double time. You're the front line, mom. And although it's hard and more difficult and more challenging, God will meet you with his grace in your weakness. And he'll help you. And he'll strengthen you. As I know you have to work hard. I know things can be hard and expensive. God knows that. But if you can get a second or a third job to provide financially, listen, get a second or third job to provide spiritually. And focus on your kids. Noah obeyed. And the consequences of obedience was that his family was saved. They believed him. That's encouraging. They believed dad. I go, okay, dad. All right, 120 years. And then their relationship with their wives, they all went in. And we know his sons weren't perfect either. But they believed. And they got saved. Isn't that so good? You go, man, my life's so messed up. I got such a background. I go, yeah, yeah. If you believe, you'll be saved. God will change you on the inside out. You don't have to clean things up before you come to him. He'll change you on the inside out. And to me, this is encouraging. This is encouraging to me, to the dad, to the mom, to the pastor, to the teacher, to the missionary, to the servant of the Lord. Noah is judged. Listen, Noah is judged for his faithfulness, not his success. <laughs> you go, oh, only six people. Only six people listen to me. Yeah, Noah, the most important six people on the planet Earth listen to you. But what about, you know, what kind of preacher of righteousness when most of the world resisted and rebelled? Well, that's on them. He was judged for his faithfulness. And to me, that's encouraging. Because one day, Jesus is going to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, good and successful servant. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful. The consequences of yielding to the Lord, no matter what the task, what is going on around us, is the saving of our household. And parents, you're front and center, seeking the Lord, leading your family, discipling, helping, knowing the word of God so that when your kids come to you with these questions, 
you answer them by God's authoritative word. That it is sufficient. Remember, the word of God is inspired by God. And it's sufficient so that you might be instructed and corrected. That you might grow and be equipped. And you can answer your kids' questions. You can lead them to the Lord. It's never too late to start working. And it's never too late to start working overtime, seeking God, building a career, not just in this world, but for the eternal world to come, building the ark for the salvation of your family. And between chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, come back with one final thing. In between chapter 6, verse 22, and chapter 7, verse 1, is about 120 years. And the very next word that Noah hears after he's told how to build the ark is, then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. God sees, church. He sees. And he doesn't measure like man set measures. He doesn't measure on success. You know, he doesn't, how successful you feel or how good. He measures on faithfulness. You've been faithful in your generation. You've been righteous. And your homes need to reflect your beliefs. That you would choose today to begin to rearrange your life around the word of God. That's what Noah did. And how does, what do we learn about Noah? He's in the hall of faith. It's the same way you get in the hall of faith. Perhaps it's like Abel, you have a worshipful heart, hall of faith. Maybe like Enoch, you have a walk with the Lord, hall of faith. Or perhaps like Noah, a work despite the odds, not knowing the future, not understanding it all, but obedient. And what was his reward? Not only did he and his wife escape judgment, but so did his family. And God loves your family, and he loves your kids. As much as you love your kids, God loves them more. And he will equip you and help you and teach you. I, I, if it's any encouragement to you, I am living proof, living, breathing, human proof that God can take one of the worst parents and worst husbands, most rebellious, most resistant to God, and turn around. Because you know there was a life before Pastor Ed, right? I was an unsaved Ed, rebellious, sinful Ed. And then I was a saved Ed. You might think, well, Ed, of course, you're the pastor. No, no, the... I wasn't always a pastor. <laughs> there was a lot of areas in my life where God take me from glory to glory. And I look back and I'm so grateful that God intervened in my life when he did and began the work of change. And he could do the same work in you. So Father, thank you for the privilege of learning about Noah, this preacher of righteousness, to see his faithfulness, I pray for some listening, they're kind of bummed out. Some even walk out. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to take this. But your word does not return void. So whether those that are bummed out or those that walked out, whatever it is you want to do, Lord. People listening on the radio, watching online, I pray, God, that you would stir us in a culture that we're in. That we would be known, not because we're cursing the darkness and we find every problem in the darkness. And yeah, it's obvious there are days in Noah. And, and you said, Jesus, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Because your redemption is near. 
and how far we are in our parenting, our grandparenting, or great-grandparenting. God, we want to be used by you. And even if we don't see it, and we think it's a year, two years, 120 years, we don't see any fruit, we just know that a godly heritage of steady obedience will lead to fruit. And so we trust you. Even if we see the opposite, even if we don't see what you're doing, even if we don't see it, we trust you. Because by faith, we trust in the things that are not yet seen. And we just commit our kids to you. I commit the backsliders and the rebellious. I commit those that are caught up in the culture and they're just doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. They're going places they shouldn't be going. They're watching things they shouldn't be watching, listening to things they shouldn't be. And they're just caught up in the culture, just kind of like in Noah's day, whatever. But Lord, you love them. And I pray you would draw them to yourself with cords of love. And you remind them of the sacrifice that was paid for them. And you would strengthen them to have a resolve to say no to culture and to friends that would lead them in a way of harm and hurt and spiritual damage. So I pray for us today, God, as parents, grandparents, especially those that have the privilege of being a voice in their kids or being a voice in their grandchildren, that you would continue to use that voice to be one that's building the ark for the saving of our family. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.